The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Other people want to make friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Buy the news? What kind of boneheaded market buys the news when everyone already knows the news? Who could have predicted that the FDA would grant full approval to Pfizer's vaccine this morning? Aside from literally anyone who could read a newspaper or watch the news. The only shock here was the name Pfizer chose. Comer or Natty. Whatever that means. Uh, come here, Natty dressed person. I mean, Natty, come. I mean, look, I know, I know about community and mRNA, but still, that's about as uncatchy a name as I can imagine. Then again, Big Pharma ran out of good names ages ago. But we did learn something today. When we get good news in this market, no matter how widely telegraphed, no matter how much everybody knows. That was easy. Especially when it involves a reopening of sorts. Well, the public, it just. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Just look at those averages where the Dow gained 216 points. S&P jumped 0.85%. And the Nasdaq surged 1.55% All aboard. to a new record. And don't even get me started on Pfizer, up more than 2%. And not just because the company paid a triple premium for a little oncology company called Trillium. Hey, by the way, that's why I always tell you to speculate on small drug companies. Sometimes they pan out. And a $6 stock goes to 18 in the blink of an eye. House of pleasure. What's the market telling us here? What's it saying? You know, I love to hear the market. I, I, the horse whisperer of the market. And I can tell you what it's saying. It's saying it's saying that people are desperate to get in, desperate to buy stocks, even if they have to pay up. Now, there's a word for these gains, and that word is obvious. You rarely see a market that's this straightforward, but anything with any cyclicality word today on the Pfizer story. Why don't we go through them? So, you know, let's start with travel and leisure. Right. Tonight, we have Lyft on the show. Yeah, the driving company, they just got hit by a judge in California who struck down a ballot initiative that would have allowed gig economy companies to keep paying their workers as independent contractors, not employees who have to get all sorts of benefits. Lyft and Uber were both down huge early morning, down 10 percent at one point. But once we got the non-news from Pfizer, the transport group turned around with Lyft actually finishing up nicely for the day. Why not? Maybe more companies will mandate vaccines now that one of them has FDA approval. That would mean less COVID. That would mean more travel. I mean, theoretically. 
Last week, Airbnb got slammed. This management was cautious about travel. Today, though, the buyers threw caution to the wind. The stock jumped 2%. Anyone on last week's extraordinary Estee Lauder conference call knows that this is a play on cross-border travel. They do tons of business in airports. No wonder this heavily shorted stock jumped more than 6 bucks today. Oh, I like the go-out stocks in this one, especially Chipotle, which is now very close to finishing the long march to 2,000 that I predicted 1,000 points ago. How about the international travel place? If people are really feeling more emboldened, to me, that means Ma, that's right, MasterCard, and V, which is Visa, which have been severely beaten up after reporting fantastic quarters. Talk about obvious. But uh, remember, having a keen eye for the obvious makes you a junior Warren Buffett in this market. You want the best buy the news story? I think the airlines and the cruise lines. Shockers. The Pfizer approval seems to have ignited them. Go for Norwegian, please. It's vaccinating everyone. As for airlines, simple as... Southwest, please. L-U-V. It's incredibly beaten up. Uh, it's the best run with the best routes. Buy it here. Next up, the cyclicals. Now, I guess under some pretext, they were the big winners, right? Because the world's reopening, so we buy the cyclicals. I mean, especially if they're connected to aerospace, because we're going to travel more. Now, I'm a huge believer in Boeing, which makes me like Honeywell, one of its key suppliers, even more. Market seems to agree in the morning. Those stocks took off like jets on a carrier. Honeywell later gave up some points at the end of the day, and that's when I would swoop up and pick up tomorrow. Now, don't laugh. This morning, oil was up about a buck seventy, bouncing off to sixty bucks as we predicted last week and off the charts. But when the news about Pfizer came out, do you know that oil quickly doubled its gain, and the oil stocks then took off? You have to admire the gains of the two biggest yielders we've been talking about: Pioneer Natural and Devon Energy. Even if those dividend yields are variable, oh, I like them. Chevron works well if you'd rather have a regular dividend that's not totally hostage to oil prices. I bless Chevron. When crude goes up, heavy machinery roars. Remember, Caterpillar is more levered to oil and gas than anything else these days. It's a particularly easy trade in this particularly easy market. Again, hard to believe, but when CAT goes up, you also get moves in Emerson Electric, Parker, Hannafin, Eaton, among others. As these industrials, well, they trade together. They are indeed joint at the hip and all sorts of other uh, uh, joints, whatever. Hey, maybe they're joint at the knees. What else? Steel took off. So Nucor rallies back to where it was earlier this month, and Cleveland Cliff starts to rebound, too. If you want to know how easy this market can be, what's truly shocking is that these you can buy these two stocks even now because we're almost certain to get an infrastructure bill, and when we do, the steelmakers will be on fire. Never mind that it's old news. When it happens, I'm telling you, Nucor is going to be at 126. Remember, the more obvious the idea, the more money to be made. Might, as, might be as ephemeral as it is obvious, but the buyers are willing to bet that this move is real. It's like 1984 and not the George Orwell book. It was like in 1984 when you could read the headlines, then go buy the stock, and then some sucker who got the journal of daylight would take you out of the stocks. We're back in 84. One more group. Fang and Friends is back with a vengeance. Now, I, I coined the phrase Fang, so give me a little leeway here. Is there more cyclicality to them than we thought, or do they just represent a better economy? The semiconductor stocks were especially strong, but that could be because the Chinese greenlit the merger between analog devices and Maxim, something many investors have been worried about as China has a habit of holding up deals when it's in bad terms with Washington. And we know it's that way now. Now, Hope then springs eternal. NVIDIA Arm Holdings deal. Boom. Maybe. AMD Xilinx. Hopefully. It's nice to see Amazon back from the grave, too. How the heck did that become a reopening story? It sure wasn't working as a Delta variant story. I don't even want to imagine why Alphabet can, uh, can rally or Salesforce other than to say that it's an all-tech liftoff. Again, this group was sluggish even as Delta exploded, so they've all become reopening plays by default. Finally, you want obvious? Walk away from the Pfizer story for a second and consider what's happening in China. 
For weeks on end, President Xi has been talking about common prosperity, meaning he wants the People's Republic to go back to its communist roots. We talk about Robin Hood, which got some positive analyst comments. It was up three bucks today. But if you want to know who the real Robin Hood is, well, it's the Chinese Communist Party. They seem to want stocks lower, as stocks are the province of rich capitalist voters. Yet people cling to their Chinese stocks. You're now getting still one more chance to sell them. Buyers can't resist. They came in and bought JD after a good quarter, even though the stock was down initially. I say let these stocks run up a bit and then sell them as long as she's in charge. He's in charge for life. How can this record-breaking move today be so pronounced? I'd say the buy-the-dip phenomenon. And we had a 1% dip last week, which is big in this market. It attracts buyers who are fed up, for, fed up with waiting. They just can't resist, and they have all kinds of money to put to work. Perhaps the ultimate irony? They say the market always confounds the most people, correct? The smartest people in the world are dumbfounded by this continuous climb. So they curse it, along with the Fed chief they blame for the entire move, as if he is some sort of puppeteer who overshadows every other positive. Sure, j does get his annual, albeit virtual, trip to Jackson Hole. But the bottom line, I put this rally squarely on Comoratini, 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 the Zanily named vaccine from Pfizer, which has already saved tens of millions of people. And today it also saved your portfolio. Phil in New Jersey. Phil! Hey, booyah, Jim. How are you, my friend? Man, I got a lot of sauce made, a lot of pickles made, so I am one happy person. How can I help? I'm glad you're better than this morning. I know you were a little down with your Twitter people. Well, you know, I did did have to say, I mean, in fairness, the horrible things, you know, I don't want to even use the terms about what they say because it's so disgraceful. But there's people's, let me put it this way, as my mom would say, those people will get their 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 mouths washed out with soap if they ever even. Exactly. You're, they, you're the best, and I've been watching you for ten years. You have helped me make so much wealth. Thank you. I think you're the best on Wall Street, and I thank you so much every day for your dedication wow. to all the small people like us out there. Thank you, Phil. Take That's what I'm trying to do. I've made mistakes. I made my share of mistakes, but I'm out here trying every day. How can I help? Okay, I wanted to ask you a question about Goldman Sachs. I bought before earnings. Within, you know, I'm going to keep it as a long-term trade. I got it around 360, and I figure, you know, with interest rates going up in the Federal Reserve, hopefully, you know, the stock will start to perform since it's on their book. Now, I want to keep it long-term, my portfolio. Is this a good stock to keep long-term? It is terrific. It only sells at eight times earnings. I think the earnings are going to be incredibly good this year. I really have to tell you that I think Goldman is better run than I've seen in a very long time. I want you to stick with that stock. Hey, let me throw in Morgan Stanley, if you don't mind, because they're doing quite well, too. Right, it's a buy-the-news market, even if it's obvious. But today's good news coming from the full FDA approval of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. Now, the action is telling us that people are desperate to get into stocks, even if they have to pay up. And it's driving what I call the obvious gains across the table. Most obvious market ever. Well, man, money time. Lyft initially got hit today after a California court ruled on Friday that classifying gig economy workers as contractors is unconstitutional. So what could this mean for the future of ride sharing? I'm going to get the latest from the co-founder and president of Lyft. And breaking up is hard to do unless you're a company on Wall Street. I'm profiling two major breakups that could mend the the broken hearts in your portfolio. And holy cow, have you seen Palo Alto Networks after hours? Should investors consider connecting with the stock even up here? Why don't we speak to the CEO and make a decision? Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. 
impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right, what the heck are we supposed to be doing with these ride-sharing stocks? This is a very confusing period for the industry. Well, first you got a labor shortage, resulting in longer wait times, more expensive rides, although Lyft seems to be handling it much better than Uber. You've got COVID worries with the Delta variant calling the great reopening into question, and then you got Pfizer saying maybe you shouldn't. Then on Friday night, a judge in California ruled that Proposition 22 is unconstitutional. That's that big ballot initiative that let companies treat gig workers as independent contractors rather than employees. If the ride-sharing plays can't beat this thing on appeal, then their costs in California go to skyrocket. Still, even with that negative catalyst, Lyft managed to rebound from its lows and actually finished the day up nearly 3%. Given that the stock was already down more than 15% this month, seeing it rally on bad news makes me think, bottom. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with John Zimmer. He's the co-founder, vice chair, and president of Lyft. To get a better read on the business, Mr. Zimmer, welcome back to Man Money. Thanks for having me. John, I got to tell you, I watched the stock down 10% in the morning off the ruling Friday night. Then I see the Pfizer news. Maybe we get a reopening. Go back over your conference call. And I think to myself, the reason why this stock actually finished up is because you guys are doing pretty darn well and that the ruling may not come in, in, into play here. Yeah, we had an exceptionally strong quarter. We beat Outlook on every metric. Uh, the business has never been stronger in terms of the fundamentals that we had to dig deep and, and build during the tough pandemic. Uh, so we're, we're set up. Demand uh, is really strong coming back uh, as more and more people get vaccinated. So, yes, there's there's lots of lots of things happening, but but we're feeling quite good. But why are you so confident about this lawsuit where I feel that a judge is a a, a judge is very hard to undo in this country when a judge makes a ruling? It it isn't idle. And I have to believe that at a certain point you have to be worried that maybe you are going to have to change your benefits. Now, if you look at the California Constitution, we feel very confident in the way that uh, the ballot initiative was written. Uh, the Attorney General of California agrees with us, uh, was on our side in this lawsuit. Uh, and so as this goes to higher courts, uh, the appeal court in California, we're extremely confident uh, that the proposition will be upheld. So you're not going to change a thing? Uh, no, there's, there's no change coming out of that ruling. Uh, it, is, it will go on appeal. 
uh, we'll, we'll continue to, to work within the, the system of law. Uh, and we're confident on the final outcome. OK, excellent. Uh, and maybe outcome within six months, something. When do you expect? Yeah, I think uh, it's hard to predict a uh, right. legal process fully, but uh, we're optimistic that within that time frame, uh, we'll, we'll get uh, a more final resolution. Excellent. Now, when I go over your conference call and I go over Uber, I think we often link the two companies. My feeling after this quarter, that's a mistake. One company is more profitable, doing a lot of things right, a lot of technology. Another company is you know, very widespread, doing a lot of things that are interesting. But I'd rather be with the former company. This was a great quarter, an EBITDA positive, positive quarter. More important, you seem to have less problems with getting new riders. Can you please distinguish or say that Lyft should not be confused with Uber? Yeah, I'm ha- happy to say that. <laughs> Lyft is, stands alone. Uh, we've been going at this myself and my co-founder Uh, For nearly a decade, we are extremely focused, methodical. People counted us out. They said we couldn't, uh, you know, fight back against a company like Uber that had 30 times more capital when we had single-digit market share. Uh, We're in the 30s now, and we're going to keep going because we're focused on consumer transportation. We have a clear vision, and we're executing. Now, I noticed that when you have a sunset of employment benefits – Suddenly, there are more drivers, and when there are more drivers, prices go down, and you get more riders. You have 3.6 million new active riders. A lot of that has to be because it's a bargain still. Yeah, I mean, there's pent-up demand. Mostly, I mean, we're in this uh, pandemic, which uh, I hope, I'm optimistic, will be uh, the one pandemic uh, in the the next 100 years that we'll have to face. So there's some short-term kind of marketplace imbalance, but we're seeing demand come back strongly. Uh, we expect prices to come back down and the market to, to get to equilibrium. Uh, but, yeah, the, the demand right now is extremely strong. But uh, So what happens when uh, benefits taper off or sunset, as you say in the call? Uh, people need additional, uh, not walk-around money, but actually want to augment their wages, correct? Yeah, exactly. The, the far majority of drivers on the platform use Lyft for supplemental income. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, the stat was 1% of the U.S. workforce had earned income on the Lyft platform. They're doing this uh, majority under 20 hours a week. I think it's either two or 4% of drivers driving over 40 uh, hours a week. So the far majority are way under that, uh, that threshold. Uh, and so that need for flexible anytime income uh, is only going to, in my opinion, increase as people have experienced more flexibility uh, with their work during the pandemic. And workers making more money. That seemed to be a theme in your conference call. Yeah, we're seeing uh, over the last few months all-time highs in cities uh, between $30 and $40 in our top cities uh, per hour that drivers can earn because there's so much demand. Uh, And because we've really invested over the last two years, heads down invested in marketplace technology for consumer transportation. So we can take maybe, you know, what we used to need 12 drivers for to complete work in an hour, we can do uh, with 10 drivers, and those drivers can earn more money. Well, let's talk about the world of no drivers. What happens with autonomous? You've got a really interesting deal with Ford Argo. Uh, I think those guys are far ahead. What's the world look like three years from now? Yeah, three years from now, more and more these autonomous vehicles will be coming on to do a portion of trips. Uh, And so what's important about what we're building, we're building a transportation network uh, and, and what you're seeing is that autonomous vehicle companies need to bring their and commercialize their technology on an existing network. Imagine trying to make a phone call on a, a network that only sometimes you could put the call through. That's the same with transportation. You need to, as a consumer, get a ride every time you want one. 
And so autonomous vehicles will be good in the next few years for 10% of rides, then 20, 30, 40% of rides, but consumers need 100% of their transportation. That's why they'll get it all with Lyft, some of which will be done by AVs. Well, uh, and then one last thing. I, I know that you've got an unbelievable read on uh, Delta and the economy because you have airport statistics. Uh, now, I know you reported the conference call I'm addressing is from August 3rd. Is August, uh, 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 unfortunately, a breakthrough month for air transit, too? Yeah, we, we have seen, uh, you know, continued increase in demand for airport trips as individuals are vaccinated and uh, feel safe and are more safe uh, getting out. Uh, so, yeah, we are seeing people are, are ready to be vaccinated and, and get out uh, and get get back out there. And your status with uh, vaccination uh, post the Pfizer uh, now being fully endorsed by the FDA? Uh, status is, uh, you know, we continue to encourage it across across the but platform. Not mandate. Uh, but at this. What's that? But not mandate. Uh, not within the kind of rider driver community. Uh, in our in our specific office, uh, it is something that that we are trying uh, okay. to to mandate that right now. Uh, and so that that is happening in our office. Very good. All right. Well, look, uh, again, I think the main takeaway is that I do believe it will be overturned, that ruling. And you're not Uber. So let's just call it as it is. Two different, very different companies. John Zimmer, president, and co-founder and vice chair of Lyft. It's always great to see you, sir. You as well. Thank you. Guys. We separate the two because they're different. And there's one you may like, the other may like, but I think Lyft's got a lot of things going for it. Man, money's back into the break. Coming up, go on with your bad self. A breakup isn't the end of the world. Some of them might even make you money. Kramer, men's broken hearts, next. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Here on Mad Money, we love... Breakups. Not because we're a gang of sadists who enjoy watching people suffer. The house of pain. But because they're a great way for companies to unlock value. Particularly when they're as unloved as some of the ones we're about to talk about. Wall Street hates complexity and adores simplicity. So splitting up your business into smaller, more bite-sized pieces can often get you a higher valuation. Especially when one of these pieces is much more enticing than the others. In the last month, we've gotten not one, but two major breakups. XPO Logistics, that's that freight company we've been following for years, spun off its logistics business as GXO Logistics. We had them on instantly, and we loved them, okay? Then uh, L Brands, the parent of Victoria's Secret and Bath & Body Works, they don't do anything. They spun off the ailing Victoria's Secret division as a separate company, with the remaining business changing its name to Bath & Body Works. 
Now, I've repeatedly recommended the old XPO and L brands as breakup plays. So what do we do with these stocks now that there are four of them? Why don't we start by taking a closer look at XPO Logistics and the new GXO? Now, we've been following the XPO story since 2014 because CEO Brad Jacobs had a long track record of creating value at his previous job, and that was running United Rentals, URI. His strategy, he took an attractive but highly fragmented industry and set out to consolidate by making lots and lots of acquisitions. They call it a roll-up. It's a brilliant strategy. From early 2014 through mid-2018, XPO stock more than quadrupled, and we're glad that we went with it because, wow, what a run. But then the company stumbled. Stock never really recovered, even as it managed to rebound from its lows and should have recovered. So early last year, Jacob started thinking about ways to unlock value, including potential breakup. Stock was trading just nine times earnings, and he figured it would get a much higher valuation if he spun off part of the business to create two smaller, more straightforward entities. Last December, XPO decided how it would work. They planned to keep their freight transportation and truck brokerage business while splitting off the lucrative contract logistics division as its own business, which would make it the second largest company in the space in the world. Now, if you want to put it very simply, XPO kept all the on-road operations while everything that takes place inside of a warehouse went to GXO, which does fulfillment services for some of the largest companies on Earth, including Apple, Coca-Cola, Nestle's, many others. Now that they've broken up, we got to pick some sides here. So which one should you stick with? Before I get into the comparison, you need to know that this split has already been incredibly successful for XPO. Brad Jacobs told us he was considering the plan on January 15th of last year. Since then, you've gotten a 73% gain, more than double the 36% gain in the S&P 500 over the same period. Hey, by the way, he did kind of promise that on our show. At the same time, while GXO only started trading three weeks ago, it's already surged from 57 to 79, which is an incredible move in such a short time. You got a piece of that if you owned XPO going into the breakup. Remember, Wall Street loves bite-sized companies that are easy to make sense of. So people who wouldn't touch GXO when it was buried with an XPO will buy it hand over fist now that it's on its own because people want a logistics play. It's such an important part of the new economy. My view, honestly, I like them both. XPO is a fabulous play on e-commerce, something that we very much want now that the Delaware variant has made people hesitant to shop in person again. While it's not as cheap as it used to be, the stock's still down 4 bucks from its highs, hasn't really done anything since May. I think it's got more upside. As for GXO, well, this was always the jewel in the XPO crown. The warehouses give you tremendous exposure to both e-commerce and logistics outsourcing. That's two of the most powerful long-term trends in existence right now. This morning, Citigroup-initiated coverage, a very smart piece, by the way, where they argue that GXO's management is low-balling us in its forecast. Maybe this could be one of those UPOD situations, and we call that UPOD because it's under-promise and over-deliver, UPOD. Plus, GXO has real scarcity value, given that there are really very few pure-play contract logistics companies in the United States. I mean, people love Zebra for that reason. Even after the incredible move over the past few weeks, still a buyer. Yep, right there. I would be a buyer tomorrow morning. So let's make it simple. Brad Jacobs has created not one but two terrific companies. He's just so bankable. It's stunning. Thank you, Mr. Jacobs, for doing such a great job for shareholders. Now, how about the L Brands break up into Victoria's Secret and Bath and Body Works? Now, we've liked the L Brands only because, frankly, Matthew Boss likes it. He's the J.P. Morgan analyst who's the best in the business. Uh, and he included it as one of his lag plays that we talked about, along with American Eagle, which is owned by uh, my Chapel Trust, and The Gap. His thesis was very simple. We adopted it. Bath and Body Works is a fabulous growth vehicle, and it would be better if L Brands would only spin off the struggling Victoria's Secret brand. Sure enough, that's exactly what the company decided to do this past February. 
Bath and Body Works had been roaring for a long time, especially last year when sales with soap and hand sanitizer went through the roof. Meanwhile, the deadbeat Victoria's Secret was a scandal-plagued mall retailer. Couldn't seem to adjust to the 21st century. Now that they've broken up, Bath & Body Works is a high-quality retailer with a more expensive stock. Victoria's Secret's a turnaround play, much lower valuation. Let's take them one by one. With Victoria's Secret, you need to understand all the things that have been holding it back. Basically, they failed to adjust their strategy and their image to the modern era. I mean, they kept trying to sell sexy when that's not what their key demographic wants. They were trying to sell underwear to women with ads aimed at men. Plus, it sure didn't help that the former CEO of L Brand spent decades bankrolling Jeffrey Epstein. Yes, that Jeffrey Epstein, the one who definitely didn't kill himself in jail. Oh, one man's opinion. However, lately, Victoria's Secret has gotten religion and adjusted its marketing to actually appeal to its customers, not to men. Plus, they're up against some very easy comparisons versus last year because they weren't doing their job last year. Now, I'd be hesitant to give this one the benefit of the doubt, but the brilliant Matt Bross is extremely bullish in the stock. And it's at 66. He's got a $100 price target. Why? Because Victoria's Secret doesn't need to knock it out of the park. Just needs to show some modest improvements. The stock currently sells for just nine times earnings, one of the cheapest retailers out there. I think the stock reflects all the problems, but none of the potential positives, which is what makes it so enticing. But let's go with the gem here. Bath and Body Works. I really like this one as a long-term investment, but there could be some short-term turbulence as the company's up against difficult comparisons because they made so much money last year. This business was able to thrive even when it was joined at the hip to the ailing Victoria's Secret. So I bet they can do much better on their own. At 15 times next year's earnings estimates, I'm calling it a steal. Yes, a steal. The bottom line. Don't ever let anyone tell you that breaking up is hard to do, at least not in the business world. Sometimes a company will split itself up and create two new businesses that are both better investments than the original. I think that that's precisely the case with XP Logistics and this GXO that I like so much. As for L Brands, I love Bath & Body Works. I invite them on the show. And I'm willing to bless the new Victoria's Secret for turnaround speculation. We're going four for four. Nothing better. Hey, let's talk to Craig in California. Craig! Booyah, Ski Daddy, Chill Master Jay. I try to be Chill Master at least when I'm doing some tomato sauce. And what's going on? I'm looking at a stock that seems to be stuck in a trading range. It's only up about 11% in a year. Uh, Despite over 80% gross profit margins and beating the last four quarters. Uh, It's trading in the 150s. I think it should be trading in the 170s, heading to 200. This was a 200 stock in 2019. Seems to be fairly valued. Uh, what's your long-term thoughts on VMW, VMware? It, it's very complicated because I'm so pro Dell, the company Dell Technologies, and they own VMware, and I think the better buy is just go buy Dell uh, with Michael Dell at the helm because I think he's a genius, and I also think he's a great guy. Let's go to Nick in Texas, please. Nick. Hey, uh, howdy, booyah to you, Big Jim. No, oh, thank you, booyah back. <laughs> hey, I'm, uh, I've doubled on this stock. I took out my original investment, and I'm playing with house of money. I'd rather not get the back if I can. Uh, what do I do now? Zoom purchasing 5.9. What do I do with my 5.9 stock? Well, I think that you take the money and run, frankly. Why? Because you have made so much money. Uh, I happen to like Zoom, but I'm not in love with Zoom. And the reason I'm not is because look what's happening. You do the Pfizer, we get the world opening again. Next thing you know, you got a stock that goes down. Why not take the money and say, I'm going to go buy myself a nice cashmere sweater and then some other good stocks. All right, they say breaking up is hard to do. 
but not in the business world, people. Sometimes splitting up a company into two new businesses can unlock tremendous value, which is especially the case for XPO Logistics and GXO. As for the L Brands breakup, I love Bath & Body Works. I'm willing to bless this new Victoria's Secret for turnaround speculation. All right, much more made money ahead, including my exclusive with the unbelievable Palo Alto Networks. With remote work looking like it's here to stay for a little bit longer, if not forever, how could it impact the company's bottom line? Right now, I'm telling you, it's pretty darn good, so I'm going to check in with the CEO. Fresh off our earnings, maybe the biggest of the day. And the inflation doomsayers are out in force. But could some big points be missing from their thesis? I'm revealing what I'm seeing and sharing why I think J-Pal could end up looking like the hero of our time. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. I like to think I'm a seasoned guy, but sometimes you just get stunned by how tremendous results are from a given company. Just when you thought nothing could get better, it does. And that's what happened tonight when Palo Alto Networks, my favorite cybersecurity company, reported. It was a huge quarter, even better tremendous forecast. No wonder the stock's surging in after hours. So can this thing keep roaring? Let's take a closer look with Nikesh Arora, the bankable chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. By the way, who bought a lot of stock at 200. <laughs> it's at 400 now to see what's gone and what's moving ahead. Mr. Arora, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Nice to see you again. Nikesh, you predicted a long time ago, right when this happened, there'd be a hybrid economy. And so you probably want to protect both the uh, center office, but also protect the cloud. Your company was ready for it. Nobody else was. Is that how you get a $100 million customer? Is that how you get 18 customers signing eight-figure transactions in one quarter alone? Well, Jim, I was new to cybersecurity three years ago, and I sat down with the smartest people here in the company And I said, what's going to happen in the next three to five years? I said, cloud is going to be big. That's true. It's happening. And we started getting ready for it. Artificial intelligence and machine learning are going to be deployed at mass scale to deploy security solutions, which is beginning to happen. And they said, the the environment is going to get more and more security aware, which is also happening. And of course, the pandemic came in and caused us also to have to work from home. But all those things came true. And we spent the last three years preparing for that eventuality. And here we are. Well, you need virtual firewalls. You need continued innovation. The innovation that you do, which is expressed incredibly well in this deck, it seems like that it's suit that you're one step ahead of the bad guys. Is that fair to say? Or are you many steps ahead of the bad guys? Well, Jim, we're constantly trying to, it's a cat and mouse game. You know, their job right. is to try and find that one flaw, that one vulnerability and try and get in. Our job is to protect an entire customer base of 85,000 plus customers. So our job is not just to find the solution, but also to be able to deploy it as swiftly as possible. And the only way you do that is build more software capabilities. And one of the things which is fascinating in the enterprise industry, there's two parts. One, you have to be very good at product and be constantly relevant in the product space. This is something that other cybersecurity companies have not done on a consistent basis across multiple swim lanes. And one thing we've proven today, we did 64, 64 pieces of innovation in the last three years where we delivered these products to the market. We have more to come. On the other side, you've got to make sure these things are all stitched together well so you can give them to your customers where they don't have to do the stitching, which is how you get a $100 million customer. I thought it was very interesting that you put a, on page seven of your of your amazing deck, market is beginning to recognize our leadership position. So that implies to me that you are just now, just now, really starting to become the clear leader. And that's bringing a lot of new big contracts with it. 
Well, Jim, you know, thanks to our teams out in the field, we are already the number one cybersecurity player in the market. We're the largest revenue in the business. We have the most comprehensive portfolio. But what's very fascinating, you know, it's kind of, when I came to security, in security, CIOs and chief security officers do not like to buy second best. So the number one rule says, if you give me the best stuff, we'll buy your stuff. And for that, our teams work really hard. We used to be in two categories, the best in two categories three years ago. Today, we're best in six. I think by the end of the year, we'll cross 10. So as you become the best in so many categories, you start getting recognized because people say, wow, your stuff is not just integrated, but it's the best. And that's what they want because nobody gets fired for buying the best. Well, then let me ask this follow up with that. Is it possible that when people see that someone hired Palo Alto, they say, you know what, let's just go to someone else and break in. This one's not worth the effort. It's too hard. Well, you know, if you, Jim, if you look at it, if you look at all the ransomware attacks, if you look at all the supply chain attacks we've seen in the last six to 12 months, they've actually been very large attacks where they went out and hacked some piece of the supply chain and then looked and said, okay, who got impacted by it? Now, the good news is we were attacked as part of that large-scale attack. We had our products which protected us. So I think what happens is if you buy the best products from Palo Networks, you have them deployed, there's a very high probability that you will not, they will not get to your defenses. Now, if somebody comes with a sledgehammer and everything in their portfolio, you need to have a higher security capability in your enterprise. But I think for what's going on in the world, we have the best capabilities, the best products out there. And hopefully our customers are, are benefiting from that so they can go do what they do best, innovate in their product category while we provide them the security that they need. Uh, I need you to explain to our viewers what, what agility and speedboat model means for Palo Alto. Well, Jim, you know, as companies become bigger, uh, we're now 11,000 employees. When I came, we were 5,000 people. You start getting scale. Scale has a risk. As you get bigger, more people come to work, more people get involved, things start to slow down. Now, in our business, that's near death. If you slow down your innovation, if you slow down your ability to execute for your customers, you're going to start stalling as a company. So we spent a lot of time, a lot of effort in making sure that we're innovating fast, we're delivering the capabilities to our customers fast, and we're making sure we're executing. And to me, what we did was we created these speedboats. Their job is to go attack the problem, solve the problem, deliver the solution to our customers, and they come back and ask for help. And we just watch the speedboats move and make sure that our customers are getting what they need. So we developed a new, slightly new organizational model, which is helping us a lot, you know, keeping us in good stead and allowing us to deliver this innovation at the pace we need to deliver in the cybersecurity industry. Well, you've done a remarkable job. I remember when the stock was at uh, 180, and you bought a lot of stock at 200. I came to you and said, you know what, I'm getting worried. And you told me to relax. Well, it's at 411 tonight, Nick Cash. All I can say is congratulations on a great job. I think, Jim, the story is just beginning. I think we are finally beginning to see that our innovation, our product transformation has worked. Now it's our job in the next two to three years to scale this business from where we are to be effective and efficient and be helpful to our customers. Well, I think that's our next phase of our journey. That's going to take us the next two years, and I look forward to it. I think you're going to be right. No, I know you're going to be right. That is Nikesh Aurora, Chairman CEO of Palo Alto Networks. What a quarter, what a guy. Man, money's back into the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time for The Lightning Round. And then The Lightning Round is over. Are you ready? Keep that down. The Lightning Round is over. John in Delaware. John. Hey, what's going on, man? Not much. How about so, you? 
Quick question for you, brother. So with the Delta looming and the recent in-home fitness boom, I want to get your opinion on stock. They have little debt, plenty of cash, great new partnership with Mixed Fitness, proven 20-year track record in the industry, ticker B-O-D-Y, Beach. I remember when they came public, I was there on the floor of the stock exchange. Let me tell you the problem. I think they're good, but there's about four others that are out there now. There's too many too many that are in that space, so I'm going to have to say no to that idea. I need to go to Mark in Florida. Mark! Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Mark. What's up? Jim, I need some direction. Went in heavy on a recommendation by Goldman Sachs of F-U-T-U. Yeah, you know what? I mean, look, you're you're dealing with another company that's out there, and you know, an Asian (laughs) Chinese stocks. Okay, here's what's going to happen. The Chinese stock market is going to rally. Okay, it's going to rally for maybe two weeks. I think you can hold on to this for two weeks, and then... And then I want sell, 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 sell. Okay, we need to go to Matthew in Illinois. Matthew. Booyah, Jim. It's Matt uh, from Chicago. All right, Matt, what's up? Hey, I was calling to ask you about Premier Company and the synthetic biospace. They have the most revenue bank competitor and their clean beauty brands. The legendary John Doerr is a big shareholder. Currently hold a sizable position, All as right. I believe the company. Uh, the ticker is AM. Yeah, that reminds me of a junior IFF, International Flavors and Fragrances. Why not buy IFF? I think that's a better buy, and it's been around forever. I need to go to Zach in Pennsylvania. Zach. Yeah, hey, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you, Zach? Good. Um, I'm calling you about Citizens Financial Group, ticker CFG. What's not to like? 3.5% yield. That's a nice uh, PE. It's one of the better regionals. I'm going to throw in, though, First Horizon. I'm going to throw in FHN just as a bonus. That's a twofer. I need to go to Jeff in Virginia. Jeff. Booyah to you, Jim. Booyah, Jeff. Excited to hear your thoughts on an ammunition's up-and-comer that's trading well under price target. Has strong earning trends with future expansion plans that are locked and loaded. The ticker is POWW. What do you. Oh, geez. You know, I got. There's just too many hunting plays. I'm going to have to say no to that one, too. I know that it's inexpensive. I know it's got very good financials. But I also know that in the end, I mean, there's just. I mean, how many gun plays can you buy? Uh, and how many ammos can you buy? I'm going to have to say no again. Michael in Pennsylvania. Michael. Yes, Jim. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, hey, I wonder if you could help me with a problem. Not a problem. I'm here. Um, about three or four months ago, I looked at NVIDIA and LAM. I thought LAM was the safer the two decisions, and I bought the LAM. It's done nothing. NVIDIA has exploded about 250 points post or pre-split. Uh, right. And uh, I just wondered your opinion on LAM research. Michael, a fellow Pennsylvanian, let me tell you, I think LAM is terrific. Now, there's, you know, NVIDIA... Is not of this world. I mean, why would you ever name both dogs, the late NVIDIA and the new NVIDIA the second, over, 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 over company if it weren't the best? But that doesn't mean Lamb isn't really good. And that, laser, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, are inflation bears missing some necessities? Kramer explains why Jay Powell is the man the market needs right now. Next. All right, let's go through this. Think about it a little more positive. What if we've got a supply crisis where everybody's holding off on making things? What if the home builders just say, you know what? We'll wait until all the components of a house get cheaper. 
or the automakers do the same thing? Given the semiconductor shortage, they might not have a choice. What if the Chinese stop buying commodities so voraciously because their economy seems hobbled by COVID? Something we've already seen with copper and iron. If that's the case, it will mean the Fed will win its battle against slow growth without igniting persistent inflation. Every day I hear some doomsayer on air saying that we're going to get a wave of inflation that will unleash a nightmare, the likes of which we've never seen in the United States. A moment of hyperinflation that will rival the Weimar Republic. And we all know, we all know how Weimar ended. Yet every day I feel like I must be living in some alternate universe because I see commodity prices breaking down. House of pleasure. It started with lumber, then copper, then oil, now iron ore. With natural gas peaking, we'll soon see a peak in plastic, too. These are not minor fluctuations. They could be the beginning of a serious decline in the commodity complex. And you know what? I would bet that way. In the meantime, the Federal Reserve continues to provide the liquidity we need so that people can move out of the cities now that COVID is here to stay. And yes, it's become an endemic disease. Let's not kid ourselves. Only half the country's been vaccinated, and those vaccines don't protect as well as against the new variants. So I think the inflationistas are missing some big points. They just won't do the homework because they never want the facts to get in the way of a scary story. So what exactly are are, are the missing facts, the, the ones that they don't get? All right, first, productivity. Last week, the Washington Post ran a brilliant piece on labor productivity, meaning how much, how much can you get done in a given hour? Productivity growth is the holy grail in terms of economic development. And now we're seeing tons of it thanks to digitization coupled with last year's massive layoffs. And we know digitization is happening much faster than we would expect. I have a unique perspective on labor productivity because we interview many of the companies that disrupt traditional unemployment. They, uh, ServiceNow, UiPath, Salesforce, Workday, NVIDIA. These companies are all about letting their clients get away with hiring fewer people. I do want UiPath to come on the show. They haven't been on yet, but I'm counting on them. Or consider what's going on at Domino's, where their embrace of technology means they need far fewer workers. How about Blue River and Bear Flag? Never heard of them? That's a pair of tech companies that power Deere's autonomous tractors. Doing a remarkable job. Go read that conference call. Then there's Upstart, which uses artificial intelligence-powered lending to eliminate loan officers. I've got dozens of companies like this that exist to cut costs. And by costs, I mean jobs. There are so many of these outfits that I think it's only a matter of time before they take care of the labor shortage. Businesses just need to adjust. Second, the inflation worries will receive once hybrid work settles down. Right now, companies are in transition. Before Delta, we figured get two vaccines and go back to work. Well, that turned out to be wrong. Turns out we're going to keep staying home. It's easy to see a collapse in office rent coming. At the same time, once people finish leaving the cities for the suburbs of the country, they'll stop buying new cars so aggressively as they have. At that point, we won't even need to worry about the semiconductor shortage anymore. I can see the same thing happening with housing. As long as mortgage rates stay low, there'll be a shortage until everyone who's gone hybrid has bought a house, although that could take some time. Keep in mind, this is a public health crisis, not a housing crisis. And it will end when everyone who can work at home has either moved to a home with an office or remodeled their current home. In short, it is transitory. Third, once enough people get vaccinated, we'll have an environment where people who are frightened to go back to work and who can blame them will finally leave the house again, putting still more downward pressure on wages. Remember, whenever you hear anyone moaning and groaning about inflation, it's wage inflation that they're really worried about. Finally, as we heard from Lyft, when the extra unemployment benefits run out, as they've already done in several states, new drivers surface everywhere. 
They'll be gone everywhere in a little over a week. I bet that rolls back a lot of this wage inflation. I'm not even talking about what Secretary Armando came on the show and talked about how women can get back in the workforce once we start having school open. That's why going into Jackson Hole, we should just stop worrying about runaway inflation, start realizing that, if anything, yes, Kathy Wood, listen up. I agree with you. Deflation could be on the horizon much sooner than anyone expects if the Fed decides to hit the brakes on the economy and we don't get a huge infrastructure package, something that, by the way, looks less and less likely by the day. So far, our valiant Fed chief, Jay Powell, has held the line by keeping rates low. But the inflationists keep beating him up like a pinata. I think it's only a matter of time before they look like fools. And Powell looks like a hero. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.